I was raised in another part of North Carolina. I was the middle child between two brothers. My father, a civil engineer and graduate at NC State, told me that uh, I had to learn to shoot a gun and play poker. He taught me tennis, so I'd play like a guy, not a girl. He said, do not become a teacher. And for heaven's sakes, do not go to UNCCH, Chapel Hill. He believed, as I graduated from high school in 1971, that the career field was about to break open for women. He was a staunch Presbyterian, the denomination I was raised in. And as I grew up, he said, definitely stay away from those Baptists. I'm a teacher. I graduated from UNCCH. I got the tennis thing right for a little while, not now. I could shoot skeet. Please don't ask me to play poker. I'm terrible. In my church journey, by the time I reached Bryson City in 1993, I was full-on Baptist right here in this building. (laughs) I was not a very obedient child. And apparently much of my path has included following the, not following the rules. My mom is here today, and she would probably agree. I've always had this need to figure it out my own way. I want to know the backstory. I want to know if I'm missing anything. I want to know if we are missing anything. And I can rarely settle for the status quo. So when God started knocking on my door, he knew my restless spirit would answer. He knew I'd jump, like leap, wherever I thought he was leading, and I'd just hold on for dear life. He knew that he couldn't maneuver me into a space where I would lose virtually everything, and and we'll just come back to that. Today our passage continues in Matthew 7. Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount from the NIV today, verses 15 to 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not Bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and in your name perform miracles? But I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There are a handful of us in here who are long timers. And all you younger people would call us old timers. But, you know, long timers works. And we were here when this place was full on Baptist. Now, I need you to imagine pews with red cushions. So the red carpet and the red cushions, it was a sea of red. Think a choir loft back here. Organ on one side, piano on the other. These lights were brighter than this, if they can go brighter, and they were full-on bright all the time. 
No wood shutters, because behind those are stained glass windows. Hymnals were spread throughout. No screen, no band, no instruments except the piano and organ, no sound booth, no coffee, no legally addictive stimulants to get you through the service. The way we were meant that there was not a Baptist church in this county that had anything on us. We had it all. We were like the blaring Baptists. Our then pastor was one of the inspirations, the singing group. So on July the 4th, when singing in the Smokies was held at Inspiration Park, many of those visiting would choose this church to visit. We could have upwards of 300 people. Like we had a measure of respect in this county. But then God started knocking on our door. Would we follow him and chart a course that's new to this mountain town? Would we allow him to strip us of our Baptist credentials and props? Would we allow him to maneuver us into a space where we would lose virtually everything that we had known up until this point? When I moved to Bryson City, I left my predictable job path behind. I literally felt called to pursue a different course. So I stepped away from teaching and school administration. And over time, I gave up my teaching license. I lost my credentials. Did I have enough faith to stay the course? And within a year, two of my three children left to live with their dad. Within two years, I was a single parent. So now several years into this Swain County adventure, I was stripped of my professional, marital, and family of three children living together credentials. Did I have enough faith to stay the course? Was Jesus ever stripped of his credentials? His soul, his personality, his presentation, all that he all that is who he is was as God needed it. God didn't need to tear that away to show him something greater. So in a monumental lesson lesson in stripping away of credentials, because we needed to see this lesson, God stripped away his physical body with pain we can't imagine. Did he really need to show Jesus something greater? No. But it's rather that the stage was set for us so that when it's our turn to have something we depend on stripped away, we can discover something greater. So in the late 90s and early 2000s, God began stripping away the Baptist infrastructure of this church. Because I wasn't a local and had moved out of all my identities except Katie's mother, it was easy to make me one of the targets of responsibility for all this change that was happening at Franklin Grove Baptist Church. So a few days ago, when one of the long-timers that's in here now asked what I was speaking on, I said, watch out for false prophets. And he goes, oh, well, that's what you were called. (laughs) Oh, I just love God's sense of humor. (laughs) Actually, I think God has a ridiculous sense of humor. And sometimes I tell him, I don't know how he feels about that, but he knows I'm thinking it, so I'm going to own it. So here we were charting a non-denominational course without pews and hymnals, with drums and blinds and candles and words on a screen. I'm, I'm really serious when I say this. What was a community to think? I'm sure that if I hadn't been in the middle of it and had been on the outside, I would have been thinking the same thing. So what is a false prophet? I'd say it's one that misrepresents God. 
In the message translation, the passage includes these words. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. It also says, look for character, not charisma. How does the leader live when no one seems to be looking? Some years back, I was in a resort town in Colorado, and an A-list movie star lives there part-time. I won't name him because I really don't know if this story is true, but it serves as an example. Which is, if you want to know the truth about someone in the community, ask the locals. In the case of this movie star, the story was told that he was very arrogant and not well-liked at all. He actually appeared to hold his movie credentials above those of the locals. And who he is on screen does not seem to match how he lives when only the locals are looking. So for considering church leaders, what can we say about Jeff? When he came to this church as a youth pastor, a youth pastor, you might not know that, he had no idea that God was actually backdooring him into church leadership. Not as the youth pastor, but as the pastor. That ridiculous God sense of humor sent us tattoos, earrings, a love for all things Michigan, and conversely landed him squarely in the middle of our southern accents and a community church grid firmly entrenched in the way things have always been. Over these last 10 years, he has orchestrated giving back to the community and beyond at a pace that we literally run to keep up with. He integrated himself into the community by substitute teaching and coaching ball teams. My favorite story is that he invited a local teacher to church in a conversation held at one of the schools where he was substituting. She visited and they chatted in the coffee bar before service. Her mouth dropped open when he headed to the stage be the, wait, you're the pastor? (laughs) He works hard to be the regular guy. He wears a t-shirt that says religion kills, and he means it. He never settles for the evangelical status quo, especially if he thinks it misrepresents God. He's constantly challenging us as he did last week when he said, you can keep the law without loving others. Then it's about righteousness. It becomes an us versus them mentality. He also spoke of the sin of certainty. If you are strictly a keeper of the law, which by the way is impossible, then no action of love is required by you. You'll simply live within your arrogant certainty, usually pointing to the law that someone else is breaking because that is not your particular point of law breaking for yourself. Richard Rohr says it like this, power, perks, prestige symbols, and material possessions are the normal armor of the ego. These are Jesus's clear moral concerns, not just sexual rules and roles and supposed purity codes. Jesus shows little interest in phony moral purity. Rohr adds, immature religion creates a high degree of cognitively rigid people. Dualistic thinkers, just either or, black or white, and often very hateful and crusading people, invariably about a single issue where they focus all of their anger. This is interesting. He says the verse, Matthew 
2652 can be read very differently in light of those words. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. It is a seismic shift from there to the place Jesus carries us, saying to love God and love others, love your neighbor as yourself, and that is fulfilling the law. That's how we obey. We can hide behind following the rules or emerge into that scary area of loving ourselves and each other in our brokenness. Letting God move in is volunteering yourself to be broken by God, as did Jesus. And trusting that you and I and we will emerge into something greater. Into a group of someones who are known by how loved they are and how they love each other. The ultimate version of Jesus came after he was broken. False preachers exploiting your emotions in your pocketbook, as the message translation says, are not the broken ones. They're shiny. They encourage us to be shiny too. The only word I know to equate with shiny is false. We can't be shiny and a mess at the same time. Shiny pushes people away because they don't know how to get shiny themselves. Establishing that we're all a mess, as Jeff teaches, opens the door for true restoration. Jeff's life work here is examining the very trajectory of how we allow restoration of ourselves and each other through Christ. Leaders are leaders when they consider trajectory. Where are they taking those who are listening and following? My life work now is to examine the trajectory of aging. I'm here. (laughs) Might as well look into it. Can we have more mobility? Can we have less pain? Can we have less disease? Those are the things I look into now. Among the things I've discovered, none is more powerful than the power of cumulative. You know everything accumulates. Dust, pounds, clutter, (laughs) all of those we fight. But there's a powerful flip side. If you hang out with God and with a community that believes brokenness and service are the path to restoration that Jesus is really about, then you're wearing a t-shirt that says, religion restores. Cumulatively, that is over time, as you practice trading in attempted shiny for acknowledgement of brokenness, and you find ways to serve and you spend minutes and minutes hanging out with God, Your cumulative becomes this beautiful mirror of who God really is. And because of this you, someone will see themselves differently. And they might be encouraged to take a step in your direction. Our passage continues with its powerful warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And I'll say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And the message translation says it like this. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. 
What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Goodness. (laughs) One speaks about God, bashes demons, and performs God-sponsored projects. He says, Lord, Lord, I do all that, and God's going to say, you're out? Whew, that takes your breath. We said earlier that if you want to know a leader's character, ask the locals. Another predictor of whether you're hearing what Jesus is saying is this. Quit nominating yourself. Our natural tendency is to always nominate ourselves. Our thoughts, our findings, are what we have done. It is vastly harder, and this has already been said this morning, which is amazing. It is vastly harder to listen and nominate and uplift each other. Let's say you've discovered a new diet, a new doctor, a new vacuum cleaner, a new anything, or, or it's new at least to you. What is your tendency? To become very proprietary, we decide that others must hear about it and they definitely must or should do whatever it is we're doing. So selling what we know or learning is not all bad. Actually, God designed community and generation and history in such a way that wisdom is handed down. That's really how a culture regenerates itself. But the problem comes when we're less than thoughtful And we fail to listen. We insert our knowledge and our arrogant certainty. And we do it poorly. You are, each one of you is a leader. You're the leader of yourself. Chances are you lead within your marriage, your family, your workplace, your church, your community. Somewhere and maybe several somewheres, you lead. In the places you lead... Are you always nominating yourself and your way and making sure that the person's listening is hearing all about you? Just this week, I was complimenting Liz on being such a thoughtful listener. She said that her mom used to say, sometimes you have to take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. (laughs) So if you ever just picture yourself with a mouthful of cotton, it could be God going... (laughs) Just a thought. We don't have to have it right. Leading others and ourselves may just mean learning and listening. Letting God orchestrate the opportunity for teaching when there are ears ready to listen. And when there are words that come from a person who spends a lot of time with God. Even Jesus didn't nominate himself. He didn't need his name in lights, as Liz sang. Because he knows who he is in his father's eyes. All that was a part of that amazing song. Do our God-sponsored projects make us look important? Or do they serve others and leave others inspired? The passage says that serious obedience is required. Unfortunately, we've been taught that that means follow the rules. Which is the law code of the Bible. Jeff broke the mold of toxic church leadership once again because last week he said this 
If you want to go through the narrow gate, the one that we need to walk through for Jesus to say, welcome, welcome, then it's for people who put skin in the game, who come as they are, broken and loved, and inspire others to embrace their own broken and discover that they too are loved. That's what he said we need to do to get through the narrow gate. Serious obedience is seriously obeying what God said, like that. Love God, love others. We can paint it any way we want to, but if our brand of love doesn't bear the fruit of embracing others or restoring others or inspiring others, we've missed the boat, and apparently we may miss the boat. I grew up as evangelical as they come. I thought it was mainly about the rules. And there I was, a nonconformist at heart, stuck in a sea of conforming. Something just didn't add up. I started reading the Bible every year, not till my 30s, <laughs> cover to cover. What I started discerning was staggering to my evangelically trained mind. I don't even know what words to use, except that I learned that God simply wants to move in. He wants to strip away what you think you want what you think he is and show you something. In fact, a lot of some things that are so much greater. This quote I heard is helpful. The only true flexibility is the flexibility in your mind. In the journey of this church, we were about to be called upon to wrestle with that. The day came when we had to apply this concept of God wanting to move in. The pastor who was one of the inspirations Sense that he had carried us as far as was his to carry. It is such wisdom to know when your tenure is up. In the search for a new pastor, we set ourselves up to have the toxic stripped away and hold on for dear life, allowing God to move in. In this pastor search, we visited a big name, a big name church in Asheville and asked how they went about the process of getting a new pastor. They said they polled their congregation. And asked them what they wanted in a pastor. On the drive home, I was in a car with three other ladies. And I asked, innocently enough, well, why don't we just ask God who he wants for pastor? Silence. I'm talking E.F. Hutton silence, if you're old enough to know that commercial. (laughs) Nobody said a word. It was a concept as foreign as any because we become as proprietary about our church As we do about our doctor or our diet. Somehow we decide that what we know, what we know is best. So surely what we know is best in considering who should be our next church leader. If you open the door for God to strip away your essential, to move in his essential, you should just hold on for dear life. We opened the door here and God moved in. Holy fire took over and it was more like, Holy smokes, (laughs) what are we doing? The poor community outside of these four walls decided we lost Jesus. Rumors were costly and ugly, and you were virtually crazy to be at this church. Sort of like Bible times, when you were crazy to be aligned with Jesus. By the time Jeff and Jody arrived, we'd been stripped of our full-on Baptist, and we're heading to whatever full-on God has for us. The title screen you see 
compliments of Beth Manling. Thankfully, Beth, Heather, and Jeff can whip out a title screen in no time because I can't. (laughs) But I told Beth I kept thinking of the movers who called themselves two men and a truck. That's what the logo is. And they're a takeoff on the movies, three men and a baby and three men and a little lady. But when you allow God to move in, and that is you offer him a willing heart, you're pretty much setting yourself inside the moving truck of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. She drew the little extra person in the truck. (laughs) You usually have absolutely no idea where you're going to end up. When I chose the trajectory of teacher decades ago, I was imagining a very different ending than the one I'm living now. And though Jeff and Jody both graduated from seminary, I know they never, in their wildest dreams, imagined that their 30-something years would include leading a small town, southern, mountain church out of the disarray of losing full-on Baptist, being scorned by the community along the way, into what we are becoming today. When God moves in, I can almost assure you that you will lose some credentials that you value. And pretty much hurricane force winds will blow them away. You'll feel stripped and vulnerable and probably wonder how this can be about God at all. If this describes you right now, I would say to you, just hold on. Because here's the backstory. God loved you before you were a glint in your parents' eyes. He woos you until you say yes to him moving in. Then he turns your world upside down with absolutely no thought of your comfort or security. He wants you to come to know that you don't need your name and lights. You're already famous. You are famous in God's eyes. What else could we want? He turns your world upside down. No thought of your comfort and security. He wants you to come to know that you don't need your name and lights. You are famous in your father's eyes. And as importantly, when God moves in, please hear this. The work is his to do. He creates the new that he is calling you into. We follow. We struggle. We hold on to him for dear life. We're like the caterpillar that moves through the cocoon, comes out and, oh my goodness, we're a butterfly. How did it happen? God wants us in community. I think because letting him move in is way too scary to do alone. Jeff and Jody are exceptional. I think at facing the winds of struggle and asking God for his way, not our way. They're intentional about growing community because they know that we need each other to learn how to love in a way that may very well be new to Swain Mountain Church culture. I think someday we'll realize that what we're learning is revolutionary to church culture everywhere. To let God move in and reframe church in terms of love and brokenness and service really could ignite a world that's hungry for how we can all fit together.
holy fire, but holy smokes. I never saw any of this coming, any of this. In 1993, none of this, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I'm glad each of you is on this journey with us. And I hope you, too, are letting God move in. Let's pray. God, we say, Lord, Lord. But today we say it in the context of asking you to move into this church, our lives, our town, our world. We know hurricanes and stripping away come with this request. We know Jesus had his physical body stripped away to reveal something greater. We trust your design to to reveal something greater in each of our lives in our church. A something that will be useful to you in displaying your incredible love and mercy through us. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. And as you leave, uh, I hope through the last set of doors before you hit the outside... And carry this love out to the world. Our very own Brene Edwards, who is our newly engaged Brene Edwards to Ben King. um, She has painted this beautiful sign above the door that says, And regardless of whatever you put on, put on love. So I'll leave you with this. Wear love. Thank you for coming and have a great week.